Hello and welcome to the EdSurge On Air podcast. I'm Jeff Young. When leaders of Purdue University wanted to move into online education, they took the unusual step of buying an existing online university. A big one with 30,000 students. And here's the most surprising part. That online school it bought, Kaplan University, was a for-profit business part of a sector that's been criticized for high costs and and poor outcomes for students. The deal sparked vocal protests from Purdue professors, and hundreds of them signed petitions opposing the arrangement, calling it an unprecedented privatization of public education. Purdue leaders, meanwhile, say Kaplan has better outcomes than those other online for-profits, and that it serves an important audience of adult students who aren't able to go to traditional campuses. Now, the ownership structure of this new online entity which is now called Purdue University Global, it gets confusing. Kaplan University had been owned by Graham Holdings Company that used to own the Washington Post until it sold to Jeff Bezos. A division of Kaplan continues to provide support services to this new Purdue entity, and it'll get a portion of tuition revenues in exchange. And in full disclosure, Graham Holdings was an early investor in EdSurge, though they had no hand in this podcast or in any of our editorial operations. Anyway, it's hard to think of another example of two more different higher ed cultures placed under the same name. This month, Purdue University Global had its first graduation under the new label. But what exactly is different now about this online institution? And how does the whole thing work? To try to get some answers, I talked with Betty Vandenbosch, the chancellor of Purdue University Global. I was struck by how separate she sees her operation from Purdue, even as she names some examples where the two are going to begin to work together. We'll have that conversation right after this. This episode of the Ed Surge On Air podcast is brought to you by the Ed Surge Guide, Social Emotional Learning, Why It Matters and How to Foster It. To learn more, visit bit.ly backslash edsurgeselguide. All right, we're talking today with Betty Vandenbosch, Chancellor of Purdue University Global. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Jeff. So, uh, let me. I, I think you know people. I think are pretty familiar with this unusual arrangement between a well-known state university, Purdue, and what until recently was a for-profit university, Kaplan University. And I think people are kind of curious, but have some questions about how all this works. But I wonder if first off, for people who aren't familiar with Kaplan, uh, could you paint a picture of what is the university that you run and 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 who you serve? Yes, I'd be delighted. We are a university of in the neighborhood of 30,000 students divided into six schools and colleges. We have a law school. We have a school of business and information technology. We have a college of social and behavioral sciences. We have an open college and we have health sciences and nursing. So that, I mean, it's a big, it's a big operation. That's a, it's a, you know, it's, it's a university, but is it mostly online? It is virtually all online. We have some small programs uh, for pre-licensure nursing and medical assisting. For obvious reasons, those are uh, have ground-based components. But other than that, everybody is online, and uh, everyone goes to school via the web. Yeah, I mean, I think that obviously is the component that that you know was talked about in Purdue's interest in in what you all do because Purdue University had been, you know, sort of not uh, not very feature-rich in the online learning department. So I guess, but first off, I'm really curious, what's different today um, as Purdue University Global than a year ago when, when you were still called Kaplan? So when we were Kaplan University, 
moving into Purdue University Global, we're always evolving. We have new programs. We have um, better ways to help our students succeed. In the last year, we have uh, improved our learning management system. We're just about to, we've launched in pilot, but we're just about to launch a new uh, seminar system. So that kind of work is ongoing. The university is continually moving forward. What's different in terms of our relationship because, because of our relationship, I should say, with Purdue is that we now, from Kaplan's perspective, have access to real thought leaders in some of the disciplines that we're very excited to be able to participate in. So, for example, our board of trustees just approved for us to, it's, uh, to offer a programming cloud computing. And we are going to be working with some folks from Purdue Polytechnic to make sure that that cloud computing is at the, uh, at the leading edge, so to speak, of cloud computing technology. With the skills in STEM on the Purdue campus at West Lafayette, we really have an opportunity to bring that learning and that forward thinking to all of our students at uh, Purdue Global as well. That's one example. Another example is we now have one and this may seem trivial, but it's not to me. We now will have one alumni association. And what that does is it gives our students the opportunity to connect and interact with Purdue University graduates and uh, alumni. It also gives Purdue alumni the opportunity to interact with our students and with our institution in ways that weren't possible before. And I believe that that's to, uh, to the benefit of both institutions because, of course, more connections with more people is going to strengthen their, uh, their careers and uh, their lives in society. So the graduates that just finished, um, that we just referred to a minute ago, they will be in the Alumni Association of Purdue. They're not going to be in some other Correct. Alumni Association. Correct. Hmm. So you've actually spent much of your career at Kaplan in various roles, kind of working your way up. And, and But, you, you know, I'm curious what attracted you to a for-profit university, and particularly Kaplan, um, in your career? You, you could have gone to other places and you worked in others before that, so... I, uh, I spent 15 years in traditional education. I was a tenured faculty member. I was an associate dean. And it, you know, it was Case Western Reserve University, a very, very good university and excellent students. And I had a terrific experience there. But when Kaplan came calling, I realized that what Kaplan was doing was something else. It was helping our, really our society, increase the education of people who are underserved. The adults who started university when they were perhaps the same age as we started university at, but didn't finish. The adults who didn't have an opportunity to finish university. And adults who had lots and lots of really strong experiences, but they were not credit they hadn't had credit for them. University credit is sort of the coin of the realm for, for many people. And the opportunity to help those people make that change in their lives was just, 
I, when I heard about it and really thought it through, it's just what I was meant to do. The other reason that I joined Kaplan University is I'm very, I continue to be very excited by how quickly we can make things better. We come up with an idea and we can implement really, really quickly so we can move our institution forward much more quickly than most traditional universities do. And that's something that I find, you know, personally very appealing. I, early in my career, I was a management consultant. And so I have a, you know, sort of a, a bent for action. And uh, Kaplan University really gave me the ability to, uh, to make things happen. And those are the two main reasons that I joined Kaplan University. And of course, it's been, a, you know, this might sound like hyperbole, but in many regards, it's been the best decision of my life. You know, you're, you're sort of an, an unusual role where you have this PhD and this, this, this work within Case Western, which is a well-known traditional university, and this, like you said, management consultant world, which scares a lot of academics that I, that I know and, and just seems a little foreign and very, you know, business-minded in a way that seems at odds. So you speak two languages in a way that I think is pretty unusual. And, and so I, I, I'm guessing you probably aren't surprised by, but, but I'm curious about your reaction to faculty at Purdue um, that have raised concerns about, about the arrangement and the deal to purchase Kaplan and to make it part of this Purdue University Global. And, and people have questions about how it came about. And there was hundreds that signed a petition, faculty members at Purdue that signed a petition, still trying to stop it. Uh, I guess, what is your, you know, some of their concerns are really about um, that, that the standards aren't as high, they fear the academic standards, that, that, that there's a different kind of set of, of rules for, for Kaplan than there would be for Purdue. And that, and that, you know, there's, and there's questions about the arrangement, but I'm sure you've heard all these and seen the petitions. What is your basic response to those concerns? You know, my initial response as, as you sort of prefaced is, well, of course they're going to be concerned and they should be concerned because it's their institution and it's the integrity of their institution that some would say is up for grabs. If I had been a faculty member at Purdue University and had only read the press about for-profit universities, and maybe not even all the press about for-profit universities, I don't know if I would have ended up in the same place, but it's very understandable because, as I know you're aware, there has been a lot of negative press about the for-profit world. And not all for-profit universities are the same just as not all nonprofit universities are the same. And it, it has taken us time and we'll continue, we'll continue to work on this, although most of the concerns have dissipated. But of course, they had to get to know us. They had to get to know what we stand for and how we manage quality in our classrooms, how we maintain the integrity of our academic standards. And as we have come to know each other, we've come to grow and appreciate both the similarities and the differences between our respective campuses. Um, so in short, it's very understandable and it's something that learning about each other will bring us both to uh, stronger places. There are many things that Purdue does very well and there are some things that we do that can, Purdue can learn from. 
Sure. And you think it, it looks like it's all going to go through at this point. I think there's a couple, like mostly most of the hurdles have been crossed to, to make this fully. We reopen. can we continue to work very, very closely with the University Senate at Purdue. And we're very comfortable in that relationship. So I, there's the other thing that that, you know, Mitch Daniels has, has talked a lot about in the in explaining and kind of talking about the narrative of why, you know, to do this. And a lot of it seemed to be that that Purdue could learn from the online workings and, and what Kaplan has done. And I'm wondering if there are any concrete plans yet or if you could kind of give any examples of what might be specifics in that regard of of ways in which you know, the Purdue Global might interact with the the Purdue, um, the, the campuses, uh, the physical campuses. It's very early, Jeff, to be talking about that. And I don't want to put you off. We, we are talking, we're, um, we're working with distance education at the Purdue campuses and describing to them how we put curriculum together, how we think about assessment, how we, um, we help support our students through their journey. Uh, we're very close to each other in terms of how we support career services. Of course, when you are an online institution, the way that you offer career services is different than when all your students are on campus. So we have all those conversations ongoing, but for me to point to something and say, and in the past uh, you know, 90 days, here's what we've already accomplished, that's a little bit premature. Okay, but no, but those conversations it gets back to the culture thing. I wonder, um, it'll be interesting to see where those take you. Can you give one example of something the way Purdue does it? Uh, sorry, the, the Kaplan, you know, Purdue Global does things that, that may be a little different than any traditional university uh, would online or, or sure. Purdue was doing? Um, we have a, uh, a different approach than most institutions, not than all, I'm never going to say all, but than most institutions in how we create our curriculum and how that gets moved into the classroom. Um, we have a system where the faculty create the curriculum together. So all faculty who teach a particular course, let's say introductory composition, work together under the leadership of one faculty member to evolve the content of that curriculum. And then they all teach the same curriculum. The beauty of that is that enables us to look at how well the curriculum is doing, how well our students are doing, how well our faculty are doing, and we can do research to evaluate different ways of approaching the teaching or the curriculum in a particular course, like intro comp. That enables us to say, well, that doesn't work as well as this does, and then improve our courses as a consequence. We can do that because we have everybody doing things the same way. In a traditional institution, of course, faculty teach their own courses. Sometimes they collaborate on textbooks, but because there isn't an, uh, one classroom that everybody agrees on, it's harder to test and improve. And that's something that we're bringing to Purdue, our approach. We call it the research pipeline. We're bringing that approach to Purdue, and we expect that we will be able to take some of the innovations that the folks in at Purdue have created and test them to see if they work in a large scale. And it, it, there are probably some ways, though, that Purdue won't change to what you do. I mean, there are certain things that, there, that you know, are I think the sort of 
anathema to a lot of professors to think like, oh, it's going to be standardized in, in these ways. But you're not saying that would come to the Purdue campus. No, 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 no. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is because we have standardized, there are real opportunities to test and the consequences of those tests then can then be brought back to Purdue to say, here's what we found with our students in our environment. And then Purdue faculty can learn from that and decide whether or not to incorporate those into their classes. Do you think Purdue faculty um, might be able to maybe teaching um, in the Purdue Global and vice versa? Um, I, I don't expect that will never happen. Um, you know, it's um, it's always something that's a little bit complicated because of um, employment rules and so on and so forth. Sure. Um, we are really clear about what we expect of our faculty. We hire faculty based on their credentials, their experience in the classroom, and also their empathy to our students. And hmm. I believe that there are many, many, many faculty at Purdue who might be interested in doing that on an ad hoc basis. So, yeah, it's a possibility. It's something that, um, again, it's early days and we'll evolve that as we move forward. I, I don't know how much you're able to talk about this, but the it's it's a little confusing, I think, to, to a lot of readers and to me in some respects. What what the the back kind of the, the the infrastructure so to speak of the online courses because in a way there's there was Kaplan University and there was this for private company and now with this new arrangement it it seems like the the academics are under Purdue but there's still sort of back end services that are being provided by um, you know sort of Graham Holdings or whatever's the, the exact entity that that was so as far as could you could you is there a simple way of, of kind of explaining where those lines are of what's <laughs> which which is what campus and which is the other? Yes, I, I think so. Um, the way that it works is that everything that's directly part of the university is now part of Purdue Global. So that's everything to do with teaching and learning. Uh, that includes obviously the library curriculum, faculty. Uh, our learning management system, everything we do to support our students in the classroom. What Kaplan Higher Education, which is an arm of Kaplan, an arm of uh, Graham Holdings, provides is back office support. So they run our technology for us. They help us with facilities. They uh, do marketing with us. Um, they manage the initial admissions process. They provide student support. They have a 24-hour hotline. They manage all that stuff. The classroom and everything associated with that is uh, is what we do as Purdue Global. Now, you may say, well, how do you figure out what's which? We have been operating this way for many, many years. And so we're really doing what we've always done. And that's why it's been such a smooth transition. The most complicated so thing has... Uh, hasn't been complicated at all. Some of us have new email addresses. And really, other than that, we're all just operating the way we always did. And the great thing about that is the old email addresses are going to stop working at some point, but that's not yet. <laughs> I see. <laughs> right. I'm sure they could forward those for you for now. So yeah, that's, uh, you know, I guess, so the, you had already operated in that kind of corporate role as far as those, the separation of the services and the academics. Um, and, and so that's, that's where that separation comes easily. I see. Um, and then, you know, I did, 
I, I, just a very quick question on on the you know it was, it's everyone's kind of always intrigued when something's bought for a dollar, um, but but it seems like there's still uh, obviously a, a kind of it's it's still a business arrangement between you know and some of the some of the tuition it seems like uh, the some of the revenue I think a set amount um, is going to that that Kaplan um, company that's serving that that role right of course um, the way that the deal was structured was such that Purdue Global has the greatest chance of success. So while there are, you know, financial arrangements in terms of a percent of revenue that uh, Purdue Global will pay to Kaplan as a consequence of the services provided, that comes after we make sure that Purdue Global has a contribution. And so in the first many, many years, the idea is to make Purdue Global as strong as it can possibly be, guarantee that Purdue Global will remain whole, and by the time Purdue Global gets its feet on the ground, then all those um, those numbers will kick in and Kaplan will start to reap benefits. The wonderful thing that uh, Kaplan and Purdue Global now have always benefited from is that Graham Holdings has a long, long-term perspective. They aren't worried about the next quarter's results. And as a consequence of that, this is a long-term relationship that we've created together to make sure that Purdue Global is the strongest it can possibly be. Hmm. And so I guess the, you referenced earlier challenges and problems in the for-profit university sector over the last few, several years, and some universities have, have shut down. And you mentioned ever, not all of these players are created equally. Could you talk about what, um, what, it, what it is about Kaplan that separated it from the, the, the problems? Because that seems to be the argument you're making is you're not like some of the other bad actors. So what, what, what is the separation to you or what in your mind has kept is different about Kaplan. Um, you know, there are 157 things, but the two main things I believe are the long-term orientation. We are not here to make, or we weren't to make the next quarter's numbers. We are here to teach students. And, um, you know, this comes right from, um, Don Graham and Tim O'Shaughnessy, Andy Rosen, all these folks are mission-driven. All of them want to help better American society by educating adults. And the consequence of that is that we have, over the years, made many decisions that have reduced the contribution that Kaplan University provides, but have benefited our students. Uh, A strong, strong example is our commitment. Students, we call it the Purdue Global Commitment now, we used to call it Kaplan Commitment, students can come to school for three weeks, no questions asked, no money changes hands, to be sure that Kaplan University and now Purdue Global is right for them. We don't want students to have to invest in in something that they don't know is going to work with their lives and with what's going on with them personally. And so, you know, if I were to count, I, I don't know the numbers, somebody does, but we have um, not taken millions of dollars in revenue to ensure that students come to school fully aware of what it takes, how much time they're going to have to spend. And 
Other institutions may or may not be able to do that because of their orientation. At Kaplan University, that was never a concern. It's always the student first. And I guess in a nutshell, why couldn't or didn't the traditional universities that you worked at, not to, to point fingers at any one of them, but why do you think the traditional higher ed nonprofit system wasn't serving these these adult students in the way you felt you could do it when you, you shifted into the for-profit sector? It's, um, it's a very different environment. When you're teaching adults, let's say you've got a class of 35 adults, they all bring different things to the classroom. They all have really strong experiences. So when we create our courses, we recognize that probably everybody in the class has to pay rent. Many of them have children. Most of them have had jobs. And so how we structure our classrooms is very different than the way you would structure a classroom for an 18 to 22-year-old who doesn't have that life experience, who needs lots more examples of why it's important to think about the way mortgage interest is calculated as a, as a dumb example. But they don't have the life experience. They haven't had a job. They haven't had a boss the way somebody who's worked for 5 or 10 or 15 years has. That changes the tenor of the conversation in the classroom. Another aspect that's very different is the way that you uh, assess and evaluate students. We have one consistent late policy across the whole university. The reason we have that is we don't want any cognitive load on our students trying to figure out what the rules are because that's not a good use of their time. They don't have time to waste on that sort of thing. So the peccadilloes of a particular faculty member don't enter into it. Also, our late policy is different than a traditional university because we recognize, maybe not in 100% of the cases, but many times, if somebody who's uh, 35 years old and has two little kids misses an assignment, it's not because they went out drinking last night. It's because their kid was sick. Or maybe their kid went out drinking last night. I don't know. But hmm, hmm. it's a different set of issues that adults bring. And it's not, obviously, 18 to 22-year-olds are adults. It's adults with work and life experience. It's They bring different things to the classroom. The final way that I think makes it difficult, and again, many universities do this in part, we don't have midterms and finals because we recognize that adult learners don't learn best when they're studying for a midterm, then they pass it, and then they forget everything else the next day. You know, that's just the reality of an adult with many things going on. So our assessment process is very, very measured, and it's continual. So every week, the students know where they stand, how they're doing, what they know, what they still have to work on. And that's something that helps them move forward and keep that knowledge strong. We also make sure that that knowledge is something they can use in their work environment if, you know, if it connects. Sometimes our students want to change careers, but for the most case, for the most part, they can then take what they learned in class this week and apply it at work tomorrow or next week. So it's a different environment altogether. And the support infrastructure that goes along with that, everything is very different for people with work and life experience who have lots and lots of commitments beyond the classroom. And I believe that that's why it's been very challenging for traditional universities who are not set up for that. Now, 
if I had students in dorms, I wouldn't know what to do with them, right? Like I, <laughs> I just don't think about that. So it's, it's just a different student body altogether. Well, great. Well, thank you so much for, for sharing and, and talking with us today. Appreciate it. Thank you very much, Jeff. Well, that went by fast, and, and I had so much more I wanted to ask. We'll be covering this issue going forward, so we welcome your thoughts. You can email me directly at jeff at edsearch.com. You can hear plenty more past episodes, including an interview I did with Donald Graham of Graham Holdings last year, in our archives. If you haven't already, please subscribe to our podcast, wherever you listen, and take a minute to leave a rating or review. This episode was edited and produced by me, Jeff Young. We'll be back next week with more conversations about the future of education. Thanks for listening.